Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll start verse 23 to 29. Faith chapter. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he, endure, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through the faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. You can be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year. This is the last day of 2023. It's hard to believe. As you look back at this year, what do you see? Um, what did this year bring about for you? This past year, for some of you, may have been a really good year. Um, you had your relationships with your friends may have been more meaningful this past year. Uh, you may have started a new relationship this year, I'm thinking especially of those that are dating. Um, this may have been a year where your crops or your gardens really flourished. It was just a really good year. Uh, your business did really well. Um, it was a time of great success. Physically, your body was doing great, uh, you're building up, and yeah, no bumps or bruises, there's no new, new diagnosis, you just had a really good year. But maybe some of you, there was disappointment throughout this year. This year was a difficult year. Maybe you lost a close friend, or your relationships with your friends didn't exactly go the way you expected it to. Maybe this year your, the bills that you got to pay, um, you had more bills than the money that came in. Money was a struggle to reach around. Your business didn't go the way that you expected it to go. You took a loss this year. Maybe this was a bad year for you physically. Your body is getting older. You're experiencing more aches and pains. And there are things wrong with your body that you never experienced before. And you're not sure what the future holds, and maybe you're struggling with finding answers with what is causing your ailments. Another area that we want to think about as we think about last year is what about your choices? Choices that you made last year. Are you grateful for the choices that you made? Or are you now reaping the consequences of the choices that you made? Or has God brought you to greater places because of the choices that you made? Are you experiencing the blessings from your choices? Or are you now living in regret because you slipped this past year, you fell into sin, and now you're reaping what you sowed. The bad part of it is that 
you fell into sin. But the good news is that 2024 is tomorrow. God is extending grace to you that you can move forward, that you can start a new chapter in your life. But this is something that I can't do for you, nor can your best friend or your spouse. We can't give you a new chapter in your life. Neither can your teacher or one of your parents change your chapter in your life because of your choices. It is up to you, it is up to me, to choose what is good for your life or for mine. We can choose to allow sin to dwell in our hearts, or we can choose to follow God and reap the blessings that follows this coming year. The question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, what are you choosing? And this is the title of the sermon this morning. We notice in Hebrews 11.25 that Moses made a choice, and even his parents made some good choices. We want to look at how we can make good choices and how it can affect us. Every single day throughout our life, we are constantly making choices. An average person makes about or over 35 choices every single day. There are some choices that we make that come with a lot of thinking. We think a lot about the choice that we're about to make before we reach the decision. And then there's other choices that we make that we barely even think about it as a choice. It just comes naturally what we choose without taking much thought in it. Whenever we make a choice, make one choice, we are also making at least one other choice, or if not one, thousands other choices along with the first choice. For example, by you choosing to come to Weavertown Church this morning, you're also choosing not to stay at home in bed because you're extra tired or whatever else you could do on a Sunday morning. Or by me choosing to work at shank door, hanging garage doors, I am also saying no, or choosing not to work at other job opportunities that I could pursue. Or by you choosing to follow God, you're also choosing not to follow after the flesh not to follow the path that Satan would want you to take. And also on the flip side of that is by you choosing yes to the flesh, yes to the path that Satan would want you to go on, you're saying no to God and his plan for your life. And that's something that's sobering to think about and we need to consider when we are making our choices. The choices that we make, how much do they affect us? There are probably some choices that we make that have 
little to no impact on our life. Um, they are insignificant choices. But I'm going to say that there are a lot of our choices that we make affect us in some way or another. Even when at the time, the choices that we are making, it, it doesn't look like it affects us. That they may be a small choice or insignificant, but if we later down in the road and we look back, we see that that choice was very significant. And this can be either a bad choice or a good choice. Another, or an example of that is you know, by you choosing to be faithful to God in a small area in your life, I think can lead you to do greater things for God. That choice can affect you in your spiritual walk. And when we choose one thing, it will open the door for many more choices that we will need to make down the road. And, uh, and again, I'm going to use an example of me working at Shank Door. You know, since I chose to work at Shank Door, I don't need to deal with any choices about or decisions about what yard to spray or what supplies do I need to build um, the pool barn for today. That's not in any of my worries, and I don't need to choose anything about that. And I think the same is true for our spiritual life. Depending on what you choose, it either closes or opens the door of many other choices that we will need to make someday. Throughout the Bible, we see different groups of people needing to make a choice. Uh, in Deuteronomy 30, uh, when Moses was talking to the children of Israel before he died, He's encouraging them to follow God. I'm going to read verse 15 and 19. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. And also a verse in Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood were the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Also, 1 Kings 18, and this was when Elijah was challenging Ahab about who the true God was on Mount Carmel. And that was when God sent the fire down to, from heaven to, to consume the altar. And he says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long hold ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Bill, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And here in the book of Hebrews, the people who the book was written to were also facing a choice, or they needed to make a decision. And these people were facing persecution. And the writer was wanting to give them the choice 
that they, they needed to make. Um, they needed to either forsake Christ and be free from persecution and accept the consequences of their choice, or follow Christ and suffer persecution and be greater, greatly blessed for following Him. I'm going to look now at the life of Moses, and we see here that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And I think now, because of that choice, Moses is reaping the blessings, the consequences, or the blessings of and the rewards of his choice. Uh, and we know that this chapter is the chapter of faith. Um, it gives us different examples of those in the Old Testament, of those who had faith. Um, each one of these examples that the writer gives, these people needed to make a choice. Uh, we see in verse 4, Abel chose to offer a more excellent sacrifice. Enoch chose to follow God in spite of the culture around him at the time who did great wickedness all the time. Noah chose to obey God and built an ark to save him and his family from the flood, even though he didn't understand anything or everything. Abraham chose to obey God by leaving his country and family that he knew and moved to a strange country. He was also willing to offer his only son in obedience to God, even though God promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations through his seed or through his children. Isaac and Jacob chose to believe God in the promises that God made to them and to Abraham, and they blessed their children. Joseph chose to believe God and he commanded his bones to be buried in the promised land, the land of Canaan that God had promised to the children of Israel. As we can see in this chapter, when we have faith, it will drive us to make the right choices in life or in the coming year. I think we should just look a little bit again, and I know we probably talked about it before, but what is faith? I think we can see a good definition in verse 1 in Hebrews. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In ESV, it reads, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not just wishful thinking, hoping that something will happen. The word substance has the idea of steadiness of mind, firmness, having confidence, having a firm trust and assurance. We can see that it is a firm faith or a firm belief in something. I want to read a quote from David Jeremiah. It goes like this. Faith treats the things hoped for as a fact and places confidence today in what has been promised for the future. It is an absolute conviction based on the assurance of God's unchangeable and perfect character that God's promise will be fulfilled. For the unbeliever, seeing is believing. For the believer, believing is seeing. When we think about faith, 
It is very important that we have faith in something. People talk about having a lot of faith, that they have you know, faith. But I ask the question, what do they have faith in? You can't just have faith by itself, or it will never get a person anywhere. Some people have faith in their wealth, or they have faith in their fame, or faith in their status in life, or their good, good works. But all these things will crumble and fail them. These things is not something to place a firm trust in. Every single Christian has their faith in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where they place their full confidence or their trust in. This is something that is so important if you want to choose that which is good throughout your life. In Hebrews 10, 38, right before the Hall of Faith chapter, it says that the just shall live by faith. In other words, faith is how we are able to live our life, how we make good decisions. The object of our faith makes all the difference, and that is Jesus Christ. I think another good definition of faith for faith is found in Romans 4, 17 to 21. And this is talking about the faith of Abraham and how he believed God and his promises and how, you, and how Abraham would be the father of many nations, even though he was old in years and didn't have a son. I'm going to quick read verses 17 to 21. As it is written, I am made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. Even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. There are a couple words that I want to note about what faith is. When you have faith, it is something that you are not weak in. It is something that you are firm in. The word staggered means that there is no wavering because of doubt. And the word fully persuaded means that Abraham was totally convinced. It wasn't that he was a little bit persuaded or partly persuaded, but that he was fully persuaded about God's promises. This is what faith in God looks like. And I just want to say this, that each, each of these people in Hebrews 11, I'm sure there were periods of time in their life, that they wondered how the promise of God was going to come about. And they even acted contrary sometimes to what God had told them. Even though they had low times, overall, their life was a life of faith, where they believed God and His promises. Faith is what drives us to make good choices. 
I want to look now at uh, Moses' parents, the choice they made in verse 23 of Hebrews 11. It says that when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months. Why were they worried about hiding their baby? At the time, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, had ordered all males born into one of the children of Israel's home to be thrown into the Nile River. Little babies thrown into the river. He ordered this because the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land of Egypt was filled with them. And may I just add too that these people, these Hebrews, were in the land of slavery serving the Egyptians and the Egyptians treating them unmercifully. Another reason why they were hiding their baby is because Moses was a proper child. In Exodus 2, it says that he was a goodly child. And also in Acts 7, it says that he was exceeding fair. In other words, Moses was a beautiful child. In Acts 7, and in other translations, it says that he was a beautiful, that he was beautiful unto God. Even God thought that he was beautiful. I don't think there's too many times in the Bible where it says that someone looked beautiful, but here is one of them. Is it possible, though, that God revealed to Moses' parents that he has a special plan for Moses in making him the leader of the children of Israel and bringing them out of the land of Egypt? It would almost seem like that is the case because of how they tried to hide Moses. Another reason why they were worried about hiding their baby is because they feared God. They were not afraid of the king's commandments. Moses' parents responded in faith, trusting God rather than fearing an an earthly king and risking their own lives to protect their son. Their faith in God caused them to choose life for their son so that he would be able to fulfill God's plan in his life. Here we see that when they were choosing to protect their own son, they were also choosing to not obey the king and also choosing to risk their own life for the sake of God. After three months, when they could no longer hide um, Moses, they made a little boat for him and laid Moses in it and placed it in the reeds by the Nile River's bank. The Nile River was a place where the women from the palace would come to bathe in. And Moses' parents most likely knew that the women from the palace did this. Um, You would think that this would be the last place Put your Hebrew male child in if he has a death sentence over him. But they did this, and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in this little boat and adopts him as her son after Moses was weaned from his mother. Here again, it seems that God gave them instructions on what to do so that Moses' life could be spared. It seems like Moses. They told, God told 
uh, Moses' parents to put him in the Nile River for, the, for this. We see in verse 24, um, that when, Moses, when, when Moses was come to the years, when he was old enough, they refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, in Acts 7.23, it says that when he was full 40 years, so he would be 40 years old, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What all was implied when he's called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? He was legally no longer the son of Jacobet and Abram, that was um, the biological parents of Moses, but was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was no longer his biological parents. He was no longer part of them. Slavery, he was now in the royal palace. Is it possible that he could have been in line to become the next Pharaoh to rule over Egypt? I think there's some writers that would say that he could have been the next in line to be the next Pharaoh. Egypt was not just, you know, a little kingdom in the corner of the earth that was, you know, a minority of the world. It was a ruling kingdom in the world. It was the superpower of the world. Egypt was also known for its great wealth. And we see in verse 26, the treasures of Egypt. There was a lot of riches in Egypt. They were very wealthy. Um, the kings were very wealthy. Moses, by living in the royal palace, would be able to have anything that he wanted, whenever he wanted, because of the family that was in that he was in. He could have all the food that he wanted. He could have the best of everything, new clothes, be able to sleep in the finest beds. He had everything. That he, could, that he wanted at his fingertips by being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in that day, Egypt was advanced in education and science. They were the most intelligent and best instructed people on the earth. And there was someone that, was, that said in a sermon that I listened to that possibly the Egyptians even recognized a round earth. At that time. Um, in Acts 7, it says that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was immersed in their lifestyle, in their culture, in their religion. It says that he learned all the wisdom. He had the best schooling ever. It also says in Acts 7 that he was mighty in word, words. And also in deeds. He was mighty in words. He was a very good speaker, which is totally different from in 40 years later when he went before Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And then he needed his brother Aaron to do the talking for him. And historians tell us that Moses was a leading general that fought in battles when he was in the royal palace when he was a son of Pharaoh's daughter. But here we see that Moses decided to leave all this behind. He chose 
They leave it all behind. He's saying no to all this. In verse 27, it says that he forsook Egypt. He turned 180 degrees around and left Egypt, not ever planning on coming back. Coming back to his ease and comfort, to his instant gratification, to his protection, and to his treasures that he had that it had to offer. He's leaving all that behind him. And we can see that this is what he did. When he took the children of Israel out of Egypt, he left without turning back. Even though the children of Israel wanted to come back, but he left and he took them with them to the promised land that God promised to them. So by him saying no to Egypt, what is he saying yes to? He's choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than land to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He's saying yes to becoming a slave, one who is in bondage, serving the people where he is coming from. He would rather suffer affliction. He would rather suffer persecution. He would rather be treated wrongfully than to be served by others. We can compare it to um, Elon Musk leaving his position and becoming the lowest paid person in his business. In In our human minds, in the eyes of the world, This does not make sense at all. In fact, the eyes of the world, it would be foolishness. But in the eyes of the world, they only look at the here and now. Instant pleasure. Instant gratification. Just think about what Pharaoh's daughter, or the mother of Moses, thought about his idea of going back to his people. Pharaoh's daughter was giving Moses everything. And now, and she probably gave him Hebrew servants to serve him. And now he's becoming one to serve the Egyptians. You would think that it would be difficult for both of them. The mother thinking that, he has, that her son has gone crazy and trying hard to get some sense into his head. And Moses saddened by grieving his mother, but doing what is right. He would rather be with his own people suffering, his own people, the people of God, God's people, the creator of the universe. And I think this is key. He wanted to go back to where he came from, God's people, the ones whom God made great promises to their fathers and also to them. I'm going to look a little bit at the pleasures of sin. Did you know that sin is fun? It is something that is enjoyed. If it wouldn't be fun, there would be no temptations. No one would struggle with temptations. But we do. Satan tries so hard to bring deception into a person's heart. 
And he does that by controlling our feelings. If it feels good, if it brings me happiness in the moment, do it. Don't worry about anything else. But Satan never tells you about the destruction that it brings to your heart. He never tells you that the sin makes you dissatisfied. He never tells you that it doesn't bring happiness in your life, but instead it brings sorrow into your heart. And notice, the pleasures last only for a season. The pleasures of sin will come to an end sometime. The pleasure never lasts. And this is the total opposite from the joy that Christ gives us that will last for all of eternity. The choices that you made this past year or the choices that you will make this coming year, what category do you find them in? Do your choices bring you gratification, instant gratification? Does it bring you pleasure right where you're at right now? Or do your choices keep you in fellowship with the people of God? Have we, have you laid aside this world's pleasure to suffer affliction with the people of God? You know, I know that we don't suffer persecution like some people do across the world. Whether they may come soon, maybe this year, where we will need to suffer persecution, what will your choice be like? What was the value for Moses in leaving Egypt? One thing that we should point out is that he recognized who Jesus was. Even though Moses never met Jesus, he knew who he was. There was over 1,000 years till Jesus came on the earth. But Jesus told the Pharisees um, that Abraham saw him in John 8, 56. It says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. I believe possibly that was the same for Moses as well. He looked forward to the day that Jesus would come down to the earth to save us from our sins. Moses was convinced beyond any shadow of doubt that the reproach of Christ or the rebuke he would suffer for his faithful obedience to God would bring him greater wealth and riches than the treasures that he already had in Egypt. Do we believe that in our own life? Moses saw the abundance of riches in Christ that way outweighed the measly treasures that wouldn't mean anything to him after he died. I'm going to ask a question again. What do you see when you are making a decision? Do you see greater riches because you're rejected by society? Because you're different because of your obedience to Christ? Or are you trying to fit in into the world's mold and getting what you want now? Or are you choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God? Another quote from David Jeremiah, I want to read. Uh, it says, Many people give in to temptation, not because they want too much, 
but because they settle for less. Settle for far too little. Moses believed God was promising him a wealth greater than Egypt's treasures. So just as Christ looks into a greater joy and endured the cross, Moses chose to, to embrace his faith, his heritage, because he considered the reward that comes from Christ far superior to all the world's riches. How was Moses able to leave everything behind, what looked and felt good and right, and stoop down to become a slave? Now, as we think about this, I think this will help us to make good choices. And I talked about this before, but we, we can see the first two words in verse 27, how Moses was able to choose. Um, it was by faith. Moses was convinced of who God is. He fully trusted in him. He was fully persuaded in the promises of God. This is so crucial that we have to have faith to make the right choice. And the right kind of faith, not just any faith, faith, but the right kind of faith when we make any kind of decision in our life. The faith that we need to have is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we fully persuaded in his promises? Do we trust in Jesus Also, another way that Moses was able to leave everything behind and choose what is right is in verse 27. It says that he didn't fear the wrath of the king. This is the same response as what his parents had in verse 23. If he chose not to fear the king, whom did he fear? He had to fear something else. I think he feared God. He wanted to obey God. God. He had a correct he had a correct perspective of who God is. If we want to make good and wise choices this coming year, we need to fear God. We need to understand in our small finite minds of who God is, that He is a holy God, that He is the Creator, that He will one day judge the world what is right. And there's so much more that we could say about who God is. But this doesn't happen automatically. It requires us in having a relationship with Him through much prayer and reading His Word. And just think about it. Moses was raised in Egyptian in Egypt. Who or where did he get his teaching about God? I believe possibly before Moses left his Hebrew parents that they taught him all that they could about who God was. They most likely told him of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how God would make them a great nation, and how the Redeemer would come from their people. I want to challenge you this year to spend time in getting to know who God is by reading the Bible. There are so many things that are distracting us from the Word of God. So many things. Say no to those distractions and yes to filling your mind on God. 
Another way that Moses was able to leave everything behind and do what was right is because he saw him who is invisible. And I believe this is referring to God. I believe that Moses' eyes was focused on God. There was nothing that could distract him away from God. We too need to have our eyes on our Savior. They need to be fixed on Him. Are we anticipating the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in bringing us out of the land of Egypt or out of bondage and taking us to the promised land just like Moses was longing for the day that his people would be taken out of Egypt and taken to the promised land. I believe that this is something that we should oft, that should often be on our minds, eagerly waiting for his return. The day may come much sooner than we expect. And we were reminded of, of that with what happened last week. I'm pretty sure when they left their house last week, they didn't, had no idea what was going to happen. It is very important that we keep Christ in our focus, lest we are led astray and distracted. So I'll ask a question. What are you choosing What are you saying yes to? And along with that choice, what are you saying no to? I trust that each one of us is choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Let's kneel to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us this past year. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for, your, for the plan of salvation. Lord, I pray, God, that you just be with us, each one of us, Lord. There may be some of us who have struggled this past year, who have failed. I pray, God, that you just give us the strength to do what it takes to choose yes to you and no to self. I pray, God, that you just guide and direct us this coming year. I pray that we'd be faithful in serving you, that we'd be ready for your return. I pray, God, that you just guide and direct us. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.